Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for lovers everywhere of the Hebrew Bible. <laughs> I'm Rosie Cannibal, a PhD candidate in Hebrew Bible at Emory University. And I'm the Reverend Dr. Rachel Wren, an ordained Lutheran pastor and assistant professor at Trinity Lutheran Seminary. Our most excellent co-host, Tim McNinch, is off this week. So I understand that we've got a couple of choices for the first reading on this third Sunday after Pentecost, June 26th. Is that right, Rosie? That's right. So the Revised Common Lectionary offers two different sets of Hebrew Bible readings throughout this season that follows Pentecost, also known as Ordinary Time. One strand of readings in year C, which is the one we're in, progresses semi-continuously through the prophets. And the other strand of readings is related thematically or is complementary to the gospel lections for those dates. Now, it's a little complex, but the consultation on common texts, which designed the lectionary, uh, designed it to make use of one of, of either of these strands. But once a preacher selects a strand, uh, it should be followed through to the end of the season. That's at least the advice by the consultation committee. Okay, nice. So so there's a potential right now or an option for preachers to make a call on which strand to use, the semi-continuous readings on the prophets or the thematic first reading that's connected to the Gospels and just kind of roll with that through the summer. Right, exactly. Um, now, practically speaking, during the summer when congregants might be missing Sundays for travel more often, it made good sense to me to use the thematic or complementary first reading to the gospel lection. Um, and that's sort of my take. But I wonder what you think of that choice for preachers, Rachel. Have you got any advice? Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. I was um, I was in Lake Country when I was serving as a pastor. And so we had many congregants who would work during the week. And then on the summer, they would go out to their campers on the lake. And, and that's where they would spend the weekends at least a couple of times a month. So um, the idea of sporadic attendance is not going to be new to anybody serving during the summer. That's for sure. Good. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to go with that. Um, the nice thing for me uh, that I'm leading this week is that both of the options for the first reading in case a preacher is considering them uh, address a relationship between the great prophet Elijah and his successor, the prophet Elisha. Uh, the first reading for this week, whether it's from 2 Kings 2 verses 1 through 2, 6 through 14, that's the semi-continuous reading, or 1 Kings chapter 19 verses 15 through 16 and 19 through 21, which is a thematic reading both concern this sort of central relationship between Elijah and Elisha. Okay, nice. So both readings address the prophets Elijah and Elisha, or Eliyahu and Elisha. Exactly. So which track have you chosen to take us through? I am going to take us through the thematic or complementary reading this week, which is 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 15 through 16 and 19 through 21. The first reading from 1 Kings 19 is short. It's only about five verses, but it's strangely clipped. And I don't think this is especially helpful for congregations to listen to. The five verses from 1 Kings 19 really need context and background because it picks up and cuts around a set of narratives that concern the passing of the mantle, the prophetic mantle from from Eliha to Elisha. Uh, this story of Elisha's prophetic call has a connection to the gospel reading from Luke 9 for this date, but we'll have to take, yeah, we'll have to take our time getting there, um, which includes just putting the context and background around the first Kings 19 reading before we can jump to the gospel. Oh, I love this. This is my favorite way to do a sermon. Start with the OT and move to the new T. Nice job. Okay, so take us through it, Rosie. Okay, so like I said, the verses from 1 Kings 19, our thematic Old Testament reading for this week, badly need context. 
our passage comes after Elijah has fled into the wilderness of Beersheba to seek refuge with God after having put to death all the prophets of Baal. Baal. The <laughs> massacre, the bloodletting of the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18 made Queen Jezebel rip roaring mad, mm. and she's sworn to kill Elijah in retaliation. Elijah then runs for his life. He's mentally and physically exhausted, depressed and scared. And Elijah asks God to just kill him and end his misery. It's a pretty dark moment um, in Elijah's career. But instead, God decides to provide him with food and water for a journey of 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai, the place where Moses encountered God. So we've got a, a text that's really laden with all of these back imagery um, that brings Elijah and Moses into conversation with God. So in this cave uh, on Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, God asks Elijah a direct question. What are you doing here? <laughs> um, <laughs> I love kind that of question. A good, great question, right? Uh Elijah explains that he is the only one left in the world who is faithful to God, and he is being hunted down too. Oh, I love Elijah so much. He is just no, for so, so many dramatic. reasons. I know, I know, so many reasons. It's just, just reminds me, me of God. a toddler prophet. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> Kill me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so iconic story of Elijah encountering God. Um, we've we've had fun with this pod, with this story on the podcast before. Yes, exactly. And I want to point listeners back to firstreadingpodcast.com for those for those back uh, podcasts where you can get some of the important background for the first reading today. I think both you and Tim have addressed this passage, and um, I just want to encourage listeners to to go ahead and and check that out if you're, if you're interested. But to offer a brief recap on what precedes our reading in 1 Kings 19, those five verses, God commands Elijah to stand on Mount Sinai as God passes by. It's mm. very dramatic. Mm -hmm. Elijah experiences wind, earthquake, fire, these cosmic moments, but it's the sound of sheer silence, a really beautiful, mysterious part of mm. um, the Hebrew text that signals God's presence. And out of that deep silence, God asked that question again, which is super loaded. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah simply repeats his claim that he's the only one left in the world who is faithful to God, and he is being hunted down too. Oh, you did such a great job of describing that. And it, it occurred to me that like, it's like Elijah is at the height of drama. And so God is like, okay, Elijah, you want to be dramatic? I'll be dramatic too. And there's earthquake and fire and all this kind of stuff. And then the sound of sheer silence. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. So Elijah thinks he's the only one left, even after all of that. And then he's about to disappear as well. Right. So we've got this dramatic crux that's filling in our first reading for this week, which comes at the tail end mm. of 1 Kings 19 after all of this. And these five verses are essentially God's response to Elijah's claim that he's the only one left who's faithful to God. God informs Elijah, no, there are yet 7,000 in Israel who are faithful. It's a symbolic number or kind of a perfect complete number, 7,000. And that Elijah's hardly alone in the world in his faith. God sends Elijah back into the world now with a final threefold mission. First, anoint Hazael, king of the neighboring kingdom of Aram, then anoint Jehu as the next king of Israel, and finally pass on his prophetic mantle to his successor, Elisha. It's always struck me as so interesting that Elijah's final task is to like 
step outside of Israel and to rearrange the political and spiritual order of not only Israel, but its neighboring rival. You know, like, why not? What's the connection there, God? I know. I think it was actually shocking to me to to see that is that um, we've just watched Elijah appear to us as this frightened, exhausted, depressed, even sort of dramatic toddler type moment in first Kings 19. And then God tasks him to like this kind of impossible, crazy mission. <laughs> and he remains a terrifying figure who emerges from his encounter with God uh, with a powerful mission to rearrange, as you said, the political and spiritual order of the world surrounding (laughs) Israel at that moment. Okay, that's all you want, God? (laughs) NBD, no big deal, right? Oh, goodness. So that's so helpful. So that's the backdrop to the first part of our reading, 1 Kings 19, verses 15 to 16. So, So what do you want to do with those last three verses of the reading? Right. And I think this is the part that that we really need to pay attention to because it's what has the connection to our gospel reading. Verses 19 to 21 of 1 Kings 19 finally bring us to Elisha, right? So Elijah now finds the man who will take over for him. And we find Elisha, he's plowing a field with a dozen oxen. And we can tell something from this bit of narrative narrative detail that I want to dwell on. Elisha is a working man. He's a farmer uh, and he's working the field when we encounter him. Oxen are not small animals and Elisha has 12 yoked together. So think about these enormous animals yoked and plowing this field. Now there's probably a symbolic connection to the 12 tribes of Israel, but we can stick with the literal here Mm. just to kind of draw out this picture of a man at work on his field. Uh, And to have this many animals, a dozen oxen seems to show that Elisha was not poor, but he was a pretty successful and prosperous farmer. Elisha had animals and land. And it's good to remember that he had a very different life and future before him, before he encounters Elijah. Um, Elijah appears here in the middle of Elisha's workday, in the middle of his life, and turns his life upside down by throwing his mantle or his cloak over Elisha. Now, this moment is an unmistakable call. Um, And just for a bit of Old Testament background, the prophet's mantle was made of animal skin, probably goat skin with the hair turned outward. Uh, And so you might want to picture that. This was the distinctive clothing of the prophet, a symbol of the prophet's power. And that's also how the cloak or mantle is seen in the stories of the prophet Mm. Samuel. Elijah is throwing this cloak, the symbol of his prophetic role, over Elisha, and this is what constitutes a ritual that transfers the prophet's authority and power to a new prophet. Mm. That's so helpful, especially that just embodied picture of this this hairy, because I don't know why I've always kind of thought of it as like a scarf, like, you know, yeah. just kind of this very That'd soft That'd be a lot more elegant. would <laughs> be um, a smelly leather piece yeah, of clothing that, yeah, exactly. that's... Thanks, friend. But I mean, but like you said, the the symbolic act is is huge here. This is this is essentially Elisha's signal that he is being called right now. Right. And it's it's no prophetic ministry, right? So we've talked about Elijah and his sort of extraordinary powers, right? So he is this miracle worker, uh p- political potster, uh, you know, troublemaker extraordinaire. 
and Alicia is about to follow in Elijah's footsteps. Yeah. So oddly, the text actually, when you look at it, it's it says that Elijah walks away after <laughs> throwing his mantle on him, which is, you know, a little bit funny. He's uh, still in toddler mode. It just gives you a bit of pause, right? So in verse 20, Elisha has to go running <laughs> after him and say, whoa, 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 wait, wait. Let me say goodbye to my father and my mother, right? Uh, and... Elijah's answer to this request is a little hard to pin down in the Hebrew and in the English. So the mm. translation kind of is pretty bare, but it's basically, go back. What have I done to you? You know. So uh, and what's that supposed to mean? Yeah. Uh, perhaps Elijah is offering a subtle rebuke. Maybe it's got a little irritation to it. Uh, but Elijah also seems to be giving Elisha permission mm. to make his proper goodbyes, mm. right? Um, it's clear that Elisha understands uh, the gravity and permanence of mm. following Elijah from this point on. This is an important life decision. Elijah has a fearsome reputation, after all. And in response, Elisha is going to say yes. He slaughters his yoke of oxen. He chops up the wooden yoke that's used to guide these oxen across a field to make the fire, then boils up the meat for a soup that he serves to all the people. It's a last meal. Uh, a celebration and a symbol of one ending of his life as prosperous farmer, you know, maybe married, maybe family life that he might have been looking forward to, that he is now turning over to accept this mission. Um, Alicia clearly understands there's no going back for him. So hmm. he said his final goodbye to his his parents, said his goodbye to the hopes of his past life. And there's something sobering here as he begins a new life as Elijah's servant and prophetic successor. That's such a helpful kind of hovering over that moment, Rosie. I'd never really thought about it before, but if you're picturing this prosperous farmer with these oxen and he takes these yokes and he chops them up for, for firewood, but you know, if you think for a minute, where did he get the yokes? Did, did he make them? Like, were these hard-earned hours of sweat, blood, and tears that he is willing to take and 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 really destroy you know like he's destroying the the life he would have had that's a that is a really sober moment and i think that's really smart of you to point that out yeah and i think you're pointing out too the the idea of sacrifice which is here right so um for so many of us as we make these large life decisions i don't know we, we might also think about what are those instruments in our life that we would you know have to break down destroy in order to start something new you know it, it would be like burning my books or something yeah. like that, you know, to say I'm, I'm, you know, going to choose this new way. And there's, um, you know, I don't know how our listeners might be thinking about their own lives, but those major decisions in our lives, those, those turning points where, uh, we, we have to make room for something new. Um, there's something there to me that I was dwelling on is, you know, w what would I be saying goodbye to in order to say yes to a new mission from God? Um, and that's, you know, a significant maybe moment of, of refracting across your own life and your own accomplishments and um, the things you maybe left behind to have the life that you have now. Well, it make, I mean, it makes me think of, you know, the, the tool. I never burned my tools as a pastor. And in some ways I got to take them with me. And you got to take some of your tools as a lawyer as well. But there's also loss there, you know, of yeah. a, a different life that could have been. Um, so 
And I think there's probably lots of people in the pulpit who who have those moments as well. I mean, that right there is a fantastic preaching point. But you 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 gave this little teaser that this lines up with the gospel lesson in some way. So so what we're, take us there, right? So the gospel reading is a, a difficult one, and um, so from Luke nine. Um, but there's real value in seeing this Old Testament pericope as a, a backdrop for it. So Elisha's response to his prophetic call uh, extends to our gospel reading for this week. And let me just fill in. So Luke 9, verses 51 to 62, includes a series of three short stories about would-be followers of Jesus. Um, and it's worth taking a look at these. So in, in each short vignette, Jesus seems to rebuke folks that declare an intention mm-hmm. to follow him. Mm-hmm but have other things they have to attend uh, to first, right? So the most poignant with regard to our Old Testament story between Elijah and Elisha is the last one in which the would-be follower of Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verses 61 to 62, this is the quote, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, quote, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God, mm. close quote. It's a harsh saying, a series of harsh sayings. Uh, and when we're not told whether any of these would-be disciples ultimately follow as they intend, uh, but the lesson seems clear, right? Anyone that hesitates to respond immediately and without reservation is not fit for this mission of discipleship to Jesus. Um Now, this might be a rather harsh and unyielding message if we didn't already see and hear the way that Elisha responds to his own call. And I think that might help to soften and complexify Mm -hmm. uh, our calls and and how we respond to them. Elisha wants to say goodbye to Mm -hmm. his parents before he takes off. And filial piety, uh, you know, honoring mother and father, it's part of the Ten Commandments. That's not something the Bible speaks against. Mm. Uh, So... Elijah allows him to say his goodbyes appropriately, um, and he needs on some level to do that in order to follow Elijah, to follow God's call with his whole heart. Um, Elijah might give a grouchy response, maybe, uh, but ultimately we watch Elisha do exactly what he set out to do. He says his goodbyes, he cleans up after himself, he eliminates any path to return to that old life, and then he follows Elijah. Elisha makes good on his call. Mm, Yeah, I think I see where you're going with this. Yeah. Yeah. So both our Old Testament reading this week and our gospel passage address a radical response to the call of God. Mm. Elisha leaves everything behind to follow Elijah on a risky mission. The would-be disciples of Jesus also express a desire to follow. And although Jesus seems to be reminding them and us to count the cost carefully, there's a leave-taking in both of these stories. Um, And I really think the Old Testament reading this week, the thematic one, helps us to gentle Jesus' saying um, and also realize that there there is real value in honoring our old life. Uh, And as you said, taking what we can with it. We we never completely put to death the Mm. old person, as Paul says. Uh, That person walks with us. Those experiences are still a part of our life. And, you know, the parents that gave birth to us that, you know, made us who we are, um, Elisha honors that. And, you know, we, we would maybe look at these sayings of Jesus um, as, as more than just a straightforward, um, leave everything behind, don't look back, you know, um, which is there, right? I mean, so that 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 makes the gospel reading a little bit difficult, but I, I, I think the old Testament lection softens it. 
Yeah, I think, and you know, I'm, I'm the more I've done, um, work in both Old and New Testament, the more willing I am to kind of let Jesus be harsh when he's harsh. I think we we like, we allow the Old Testament to be harsh, but we want Jesus to be nice all the time. But I think what you're doing is also saying that there's context here. You know, Jesus is, is like you said, is saying there's real cost. Don't follow lightly. It's like Paul says, don't be lukewarm um, in your following of Jesus. And I I think that's what yeah, Jesus is Yeah, I think you've got saying. it just there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great, Rosie. I, that's great work. Do you have any other preaching angles or pitfalls you want to bring up? No, I think that's, you know, that's it. I, I hope that preachers are able to, you know, maybe put both of these uh, readings into conversation with each other. I, I do think they enrich one yes. another. Fun. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thanks for your great work, Rosie. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, friends, all of our episodes are at firstreadingpodcast.com, along with other resources, and now your very own First Reading swag on the merch page. If you are on Facebook, you can also find us there. Give us some feedback in the comments. A special thank you to those who generously choose to donate to keep First Reading sustainable. Thanks also to Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University for a grant that helps us out. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, I'm Dr. Rachel Wren. And I'm Rosie Candlethal. Happy preaching.